Shalom to everyone. We are hoping and we are praying um, that your uh, your preparation for your holidays is going well and smooth, and that your teshuvah is being mitkabel in the highest heavens, and uh, and that everything uh, that is supposed to go the way or the way that you hope it will go is kind of slowly but surely drawing you towards where you need to be. Um, I thought maybe tonight, in talking a little bit about Rosh Hashanah, I wanted to perhaps recast these important days in perhaps slightly different terms. And I think that it's a remarkable uh, thing to think about. You know, the most famous question, if you had to ask a question on the holidays, is that our holidays seem to be given to us out of order. If you were posed or ready to declare Hashem as the king, and you had full, you had your heart full of averot, your, your, your heart is black, your soul is black with sin, you know, and you're declaring Hashem as the king, that sounds like a strange way to, to be mamlich kadosh Baruch to declare him the king over our, and specifically your own world. Surely it would be a better idea to have Yom Kippur before Rosh Hashanah, clean yourself off, dress up nicely, and then go out and visit the king. Welcome him in. Who would go to the coronation of the king wearing begadim tzoyim, wearing dirty clothes? One of the most famous questions uh, uh, regarding the holidays. And <clears throat> like everything else in the Torah, something that is exceedingly difficult seems to get so much easier the minute you have some deeper understanding in what it is that you're actually doing. You know, a lot of times you'll give a class and what always fascinates me is not when someone who's not religious will approach me afterwards and say thank you, but when someone who grew up religious and they always feel the need to tell me, Rabbi, you know, I went to yeshiva. And then you look at them and you're like, okay, and then they feel the need to qualify. Now, not one of those like sketch yeshivas, like, you know, not one of those yeshivas that like irreligious people go to and they think is a yeshiva, not one of those. I went to like a hardcore yeshiva. I went to a black hat yeshiva. They always feel the need to say that. And I'm like, okay, hazaku baruch, like, you know, give me a hug. I don't know what you want from my life. And they say, you know, and my whole life, I struggled with this until you just said that in the class, and all of a sudden my eyes are open. Change my life. You change my praying. You change my holiday. You change my experience of Shabbat. It is a small truth that people need to wrap their heads around. That oftentimes, when we struggle in Judaism, it's not because of the difficulty in the action. It's because of the paucity of our understanding with regards to that concept. And if we gave it a little bit of flavor and a little bit of nuance, all of a sudden, it's easy. As the great scholar uh, said to us, and I'm paraphrasing, just a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Rabbi Hatchoff spoke about the power of sugar. You know, when they made the Flintstone vitamins, one of the great discoveries was you could have kids eat vitamins very easily. It's not a problem. Don't fight with them over Brussels sprouts. Just make the vitamins colorful, make them in the shape of a beloved character, and all of a sudden, oh, the Flintstones, I want the Flintstones vitamins. 
Try giving him the same vitamins, even with the same flavor, but that are not in the shape of Fred Flintstone. Kid doesn't want to eat it. So sometimes, almost allowing someone to get into the correct lane with regards to their understanding of their relationship with what it is that you're asking them to do is enough already to remarkably and dynamically change their interaction um, with, with that concept, with that mitzvah. So too, my friends, is our job tonight in recasting Rosh Hashanah. Because in truth, actually, in truth, actually, the question really doesn't make sense at all. This question of why Yom Kippur doesn't precede Rosh Hashanah doesn't make sense at all. It comes from a misunderstanding of what we're saying on the day. And because our holiday, this because our efforts tonight are, uh, are before the Yamim Noraim, and we don't have a chance to be able to speak to you again before Yom Kippur in this format again, so I'd like to speak globally about the process of Teshuvah. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur feel remarkably different, don't they? Rosh Hashanah is celebratory. Rosh Hashanah, you're going home. Chachamovadia writes that a person on, Yom, on Rosh Hashanah, he should not try or push himself to cry. In fact, it's a day of tremendous joy. Go home, says the Nabi. Right? Go eat shmanim. Go eat food, fatty foods. Go home to your families. Enjoy. Have a great time. I'll, you know, uh, apples and honey. It's a great day. Yom Kippur, we're fasting. We're, you know, we're uncomfortable. Everything's terrible. So Rosh Hashanah feels happy. Yom Kippur feels terrible. The days don't seem to be related at all. But actually, I'd like to present what I think is a, a little bit of a different understanding in these two days. And if we got this understanding, I think that we would have a much more successful Rosh Hashanah and a much more successful Yom Kippur. And indeed, we will actually develop for ourselves a new understanding in the process of Teshuvah whenever we choose to return. Because Teshuvah is not owned or trademarked by Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. You could return on any day. You're allowed to do Teshuvah on any day of the year. Let me tell you that secret. Teshuvah always works. Ad yom moto HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, until the day of his death, I wait for him. Im tashuv If he returns, I'll accept him immediately. So perhaps understanding the dynamic of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur within the Teshuvah process will help us understand how one effectively does Teshuvah whenever they're attempting to do so. I think... If I could, just for one minute, share with you one idea that I learned from my days in the Kiruv world, in the outreach world. I realized that if I ever talked to someone about God who was very irreligious, oftentimes, just mentioning the name God, you'd see the shudders came down. So I'd say, you know, God wants us, boom, done. What was fascinating is that if I, instead of saying the word God, I said the source. If I said the power. If I said any other word besides the God, I was gold. It was just God. It was that God was the curse word, so to speak, in, in their lexicon. 
Okay? So, so long as you used another word. Okay. Let's try that today with the word Teshuvah. Because I think that there's such a somber element when it comes to usage of that word that merely the word itself is already enough to make us feel like, ah. You know? Some people feel after Yom Kippur, they feel light. They feel clean. They feel, you know, some people feel like relief. I went to one guy. I said, oh, I feel amazing, right? I feel amazing after Yom Kippur, right? He said, yeah, me too, me too. And then he turns around to his friend. He goes, don't you feel amazing that Yom Kippur is over? I was like, oh, God. It sounded like we said the same thing. We said the opposite thing. I said, I feel so amazing after Yom Kippur. He says, I feel so amazing. It's after Yom Kippur. One of us was, was feeling great about the process, about where we, where we were, what we'd achieved, and the other one was like, thank God, no more teshuvah for 353 more days. This relationship with teshuvah, this relationship with that word, the dirty word of teshuvah, let's move away from it for one minute and change the word of teshuvah to a word change. Today, in our world, the word change is a fantastic word. How do I change for the better? Self-help books and theories and gurus abound. Everybody wants to know, how do I change? How do I become better? How do I develop? That's what the Shuvah is. So if you're going to pay money to go here, one of these guys get up there and tell you, and you know, what's his name? Uh, the, the big guy. Uh, sorry? Tony Robbins, right? Tony, Tony Robbins, right? Tony Robbins will get up there and he'll tell you that, you know, you have to find your inner lion. And you're like, yes, the inner lion! Right? You list, you're paying money for Tony Robbins to tell it to you. But you know what? God, I'm sorry, the source also said that to you. So let's for one second stop making this about religion, even though it is. It's the essence of religion, of Judaism. Let's for one second walk back from the terms that we're scared of and let's talk about change. Because change, every kind of change, also needs a Rosh Hashanah and a Yom Kippur. That's the dynamic I want to isolate with you. And it's true about any process of change. You know, many people have said to me, you know, um, we must have dipped the apple in vinegar last year, Rabbi. Yeah. How do we screw up last year, part of my French, so bad? How do we mess up so bad that this is what we've had this past year? How did that happen? We want everything to be over. We want to move on. We want to do something different. We want this year to be... And I'm, I'm with you. Oh, gosh, am I with you. I think I like having to give classes in the corner of my bedroom, you know, with the cameras and zooms. And the, you think I like being my own tech, uh, tech manager? You know, we're flipping out every two seconds, something else goes wrong, we get panicked messages from Jessica Zaga. Right, you know, it's not on, it's not focused, it's, you know, it's whatever. You know, it's non-stop, the, the panic is real, okay? I'm also, I don't want anyone. I don't like a synagogue that's 33% full. I don't like that. However, I think perhaps there's a tiny change that we need to undergo in order to understand truly the process of change of Teshuvah. You know, disasters have a way of repeating themselves. And 
as, uh, as we grow and as we learn, we are wiser if we take the chance to learn from history. So every time the market crashes for one reason, we write that down and we're like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, no subprime market. Note to self, right? You know, you know don't, let's not mess up again with the mortgages. Like, you know, you write that down. But meanwhile, like the process that brought us to that, like, that's not the problem. It's, it was the mortgage of, you know, Lehman Brothers. Those brothers, Lehman's, ruined everything. Really? They were just the first ones to crash. Everyone else was crashing too. We'd effectively created a Ponzi scheme called banking. That's what happened, okay? We were borrowing more, paying back on, on, on bad debt. This is how it works. So oftentimes we like pointing our finger at something. And I'd like to for one second look away from that and learn from the history. There was a massive fire in Chicago. Businesses were destroyed. Terrible devastation. And there was one man who, on the rubble of his business, placed a folding table. And atop the folding table was a small sign. A sign to passers-by, to firemen, to police, to former customers. And the sign said, everything lost except for wife, children, and hope. Business will resume as normal tomorrow. Everything lost except for wife, children, and hope. We flail around in times of disaster. And we talk about how everything's gone, but we forget actually to notice what isn't gone. And if we have some minimal things, if we have with which to build again, then we have enough. There was a beautiful line that was written by Oliver Wendell Holmes, uh, Sherlock Holmes' second cousin. That's not true. He also was a fake character, so that's not possible to be true. Sorry. Shakarno. Okay, fine. There's an amazing line, he says as follows. If I was asked to feel in a bowl of sand particles of iron using my eyes or my clumsy fingers, I may not be able to find them. But if I take a magnet and sweep through it, it would draw it to itself the almost invisible, invisible particles by mere power of attraction. The unthankful heart, like my finger, discovers no mercies. But let the thankful heart sweep through the day, and as the magnet finds the iron, so it will find in every hour some heavenly blessing. Only the iron in God's hand is as precious as gold. If you were looking with your eyes and your fingers in the sand, you may not find the bits of value. But if you use a magnet, the magnet draws it to itself. A person who has a heart which is negative, which is looking to complain, which is cynical, is always going to find only sand. But the thankful heart, it draws Hashem's mercies and kindness to itself 
by mere power of attraction. And suddenly you find the gold that God is giving us each and every day. Do you know who looks through a bowl of sand with a magnet though? Not you, not me. Someone who was told that there's iron in the sand. If you don't know to look for gold in the sand, if you don't know to look for iron in that bowl, why would you use a magnet? You'd think that the unthankful heart would find the same as the thankful heart. But the truth is far from that. When we know that God is running our world and that He is full of mercy and kindness, then we know to use a different tool because we are sure that something is there. We just need to change the way we look for it. Everything is lost except for my wife, my children, and my hope. My friends, when we declare God king over the world, we do something that Christians cannot do. You see, in Christianity, they had a theological problem. And the problem was that if God was good, how could things that were bad come from God? So they created an alternate force, an alternate source, the source of the devil, of Satan, of some other dominion that God is not in control of, running some sort of side hustle in God's world. But in Judaism, we don't believe that. And on Rosh Hashanah, we declare, Hamavet v'hayim, you, you control life and death. You control poverty and riches. You control health and sickness. All of it is in your hands. So I know if you are good, and you dealt me some bad cards, somewhere in that hand is a golden ticket. But if I can't see it, maybe I need to put on my glasses, or use a magnet or the thankful heart. So the question is, before we begin the process of change, we have to ask ourselves, knowing that God is good and running our world, is my thankful heart in place? And where is the gold? When you can find the gold in your life, in your family, in yourself, then you have something upon which to build a future. So to tell a person Yom Kippur should come before Rosh Hashanah is a fallacy. Because he has nothing to look for. And he has no reason to change. And the world has gone to pot anyway. And New York City is full of homeless and drugs. And there's looting and the world is full of corona and we're never getting out of this and the vaccine is coming in the end of not 2021 but 3021 in a miserable world why would I change let me grab what I can eat drink and be merry for literally tomorrow we die but in God's world in a world that has beauty and gold and silver linings in everything and gold and silver linings in ourselves. So with all of our failures, can we not find some of Hashem's mercy? Maybe we've learned from those failures and we've changed because of it, more powerful because of it. Maybe the difficulty in our marriages, instead of looking only at the challenges in Shalom Bayit, we could look 
to those things and say, actually, this helped me understand things about my relationship that need work. And you know what? God gave it to me in a time when all I had was time to work it out. This is the thankful heart's way. And the thankful heart is aroused by Rosh Hashanah. I want to draw this to a point. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs the world and he is king, and if HaKadosh Baruch Hu put you in your place and gave you what he gave you, then surely you are not understanding your own cosmic importance and vitality. Because if you are floundering in your life and God makes no mistakes, then it's not because you can't, it's because you haven't. That understanding sets me up for Yom Kippur, for me to say, I haven't, but I will. The Briskarov was once approached by someone who said to him, you know, all the problems that we're having in Israel, if only the irreligious, the Freie, if only the Freie, yeah, only the fry people, if only the non-religious people were doing this, if only they weren't driving buses on Shabbat, if only they weren't watching movies, if only they weren't doing this, if only they weren't doing that, utopia. It would be amazing, everything would be amazing. There would be enough tahina on all the balafos, they would never run out of ketchup, you know, everything would be amazing. And the brisker rub strokes his beard, I don't know if he did, I'm just imagining he did, just beard envy, basically. And he says, I don't know if you're right. I don't know if it is the irreligious people's fault. What? It's not the non-religious people's fault? Rabbi, what kind of religious Jew are you? And the Briskarov said, on Yom Kippur afternoon, we read about Yonah. And Yonah goes onto the boat, and all of a sudden there's a tempest at sea, and the ship is tossed to and fro like some sort of toy. And the people don't know, and they pray to their gods, and all of a sudden they see there's one guy sleeping downstairs. They drag him up to the, to the deck. Don't you see what's going on? Who are you? What's going on? How come this is happening? What do you do for a living? Da -da 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 -da. And Yonah answers only one answer. Only one answer. He skips all the rest of the questions. Rabbi Bernstein points this out. This is fantastic. Quoting the Briskarov. He answers only one. What does he say? Ivri Anochi. Et Hashem. It is God, the God, the master of heaven and earth. that I fear. Throw me into the water. Because this storm is because of me. Because I ran away. Now let me, let's just back up one second. Beep, beep, beep. Hold up. Just rewind. All of these people, what were they just doing, by the way? What, were they, what did I say they were doing? They were all praying to their God. So they were all avodah all around the deck of the boat. 
Everyone's praying to all the other gods. They call up Yonah. They're like, yeah, dude, there's a storm. It's like, yeah, you cray gray over here. I, we have no idea why it is. How easy would it have been for Yonah to say, yeah, it's the Avodah I can see it on your chin. What are you, like, why? Come on. Right? It's so easy for him to say that. He's a Navi. He's a prophet. He probably did 99.9999% of things right. He didn't do kol ram and shu. You know, he got there early enough to make the berachot, and he said ashrei before selichot. He made none of the mistakes at all. He sat down for the whole of berakat hamazon, and he did it inside, right? He always said asher yatzar, standing in one place, not while he was walking. He was a yelit to Yerushalayim. Yonah was amazing. And what does Yonah say? It's on me. If ri anochi, I fear God. This storm is because of me, said the Briskarov. I don't know if it's the irreligious people who don't know better. It is we who fear God, who must stand up and say, this is our time, and we can make a difference here. Because we fear God, because we, we have most of the stuff right. And instead of looking at all the negative things with an unthankful heart, we look with a thankful heart at the wonderful things we've been able to accomplish. Because everyone talks how cursed this year is. I want to say that maybe the biggest Kiddush Hashem that ever happened in the history happened this year in, in MetLife Stadium. And that's not just because I got to speak there. That was the lowest part of it. But other than that, it was an amazing Kiddush Hashem. Hundreds of thousands of Jews. You know what? And no complaints from the non-Jewish ushers about how terrible we are. And they weren't saying about how we left loads of garbage behind. Amazing, amazing. Right? Amazing. What a Kiddush Hashem that happened this year. We started Chazak in New York City this year. In fact, it was right before Corona. One of you guys probably brought it from China. Either way, the point is... China. But either way, the point is... You and I could look at this year and find terrible parts, but there were also beautiful things that happened in this year. And I think when we do that, when we recognize that Hashem is in charge, and we submit to the king of the world, then we realize that there's only really one answer, that I need to step up my game. And not from a place of self-flagellation. We're not whipping ourselves here. We're not beating ourselves into submission like some ancient Christian monks used to do when they would take their whips and whip on their back. That's not what we're trying to do here. This is not supposed to be from a place of weakness. It's supposed to be from a place of strength. There's a man sitting at home and there's a knock at the door and all of a sudden a little boy is knocking and he opens the door and he says yes and a little boy pulls out from behind him. He's got a cup of lemonade and he says, sir, I'm selling lemonade for charity. One dollar a cup. Man says, okay. You know, he does what most adults do. They give him the dollar. Kid's not looking for it in the drain, right? Yeah, I'm not drinking anything that looks cloudy. I'm a job. Either way, point is, yeah, the kid gives you the thing. He's selling the lemonade for one dollar. The guy says, what's it for? The kid looks up at him with big eyes. He's all five years old. And he says, Oh, I'm selling the lemonade to raise a million dollars for the victims of the California wildfires. The guy looks down at the little kid. He goes, you mean to tell me you're going to raise a million dollars by yourself? And the kid goes,
by myself. No, my little sister is helping me. When we are children, we are not jaded. When we are children, we believe that everything and anything is possible. Rosh Hashanah is when we get a chance to reset our outlook, our understanding, not just of who God is, but in relation to who we are. You know, Ivanka Trump talks her father up a lot. And I think part of that is because, you know, you know, she really respects her dad. But, sidebar, if I work for him and he's more powerful, what does that make me? What does that make me? Somehow people forget when they're declaring God to be king over the entire universe, they forget that, yeah, but you're his son and you're his daughter. And if he's all-powerful, the more powerful you recognize him to be, the more powerful by virtue of that are you. After Rosh Hashanah, when you are raw, your Yom Kippur is indomitable. But go to Yom Kippur feeling like you're worthless, and you are nothing, and you have an unthankful heart. Where are you going to start? Why are you even going to bother? Shut the book, go home. It is my sincere hope that this is what we feel, this Rosh Hashanah. When we hear the sound of the shofar and we recognize that that sound is not just some sort of mitzvah that we play out year after year because the Torah says, blow the shofar, but that it is the cry of our national youth. It is the moment when Abraham takes Yitzchak to the Akedah. And at that moment, when Abraham displays unequivocally that he will be the chosen for all time, and God says, Ya'an, because you did this thing, I will bless you and I will grow you, your children and your children's children, the moment we lock in. Ironically, the Akedah is which day? The day of? Rosh Hashanah. That's why we read the Akedah on that day. So on that day, the day we became the people that would be this people forever and ever. On that day once, the ayin gets caught in the brambles. And those two shofarot are taken from its head. One to blow at Har Sinai. Kol shofar olech bechazek me'od. And the other shofar to blow at the time of Mashiach, to herald, to cap shofar gadol That moment, the understanding that you, that me, as children of Abraham, can do everything, can do things that humans don't even think are possible to do, when we believe that that's what we can do on Rosh Hashanah, that when it comes to Yom Kippur, you're like, yeah, I got this. I could change. It is my fervent wish and hope that we begin from this place of strength, that we dial ourselves in with all power and intent on Rosh Hashanah, that we get to Yom Kippur's. And for those who don't like the Hebrew words, or the word Teshuvah, 
or the word God, and we are talking now about positive change and mobility in your life, first ask yourself, where are the pieces of gold? Where are my strengths? Where are my values? Where do I have value in my life? And from that place of understanding that you are strong and that you are beautiful and that you are capable and that you are talented, go to face those fears, not as someone who's probably going to lose and probably going to miss out, but as someone who indubitably will win if they but try. This year, maybe, instead at the end of Yom Kippur being glad that it's over, we can indeed be the people that feel after Yom Kippur that we are glad that it happened. Thank you to all of our sponsors and to each and every one of you for tuning in. And for our enormous live audience who are here today, give yourselves a silent round of applause. It would have been funnier if no one would have clapped. Because then they would have wondered, is anyone there? But now they're thinking, okay, fine. May Hashem bless you all. Azak Baruch, Azak Ve'ematz, from strength to strength. Tichle Shana Vekil Lotea, Tachel Shana Ubirchotea. I know what the issue is. The issue is that the uh, the video capture card that I'm using is not is not is only 1080 DP. I need to get a 4K one. Can we get a uh, a rig here so that we have it for our, our events? Yeah. So who should I should I ask uh, Ronnie for it? We just have to design what that rig is. Well, we know what it is. We need to have a we need a, a DSLR that has power, light, and a microphone. That's it. DSLR. More time? DSLR. Yeah. Um, a, a tripod, a DSLR. Probably though, we should have it set to some very specific um, piece of equipment that we can run the whole thing off of. 